The reading of God's word comes to us from Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, we'll read verses 11 through 16. This is God's word. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. A gracious woman gets honor. And violent men get riches. Thus far the reading of God's word. Join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing on his word. We are your people, O Lord, and here we stand before you, hungering for your word. Um, to know you more, Lord, for this is eternal life, um, to know you and the one whom you have sent. And so we ask that we would uh, be enabled, be strengthened uh, to know you as we receive of your word, not as the word of men, uh, but as your word, uh, the word of our maker, uh, the word of our redeemer. Uh, shed light upon our hearts, Lord, that we might understand ourselves in the light of your word and uh, shed light upon your provision for grace unto the frail and the weak, unto sinners, that we might run uh, to the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved Son in whom there is refuge. Attend our hearts and our minds even now. We ask in Christ's name, amen. I take once more our sermon text, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And if you like, you can turn in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which you can find in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, on page 973. We'll take up question 64 once I read. Verse 12, but first, this is God's word. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Thus ends God's word. And then question 64 asks, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. We learn an important lesson from the centurion who comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. If you recall this episode, there is a soldier who comes seeking Jesus 
to heal his servant. It's an interesting relation in which the centurion stands both to the one on whose behalf he is acting and the one whom he is beseeching to act. The whole passage is infused with this larger theme of authority. Jesus has just finished teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and people marvel at him. Why? Because he teaches with authority, an authority that they hadn't seen in their scribes, their teachers, those so-called authorities whom they had looked to for guidance. They were impressed with this man's authority. And so this passage is full of this issue of authority. In fact, that's how the centurion introduces himself. I am a man under authority. And it's interesting that he comes to Jesus as one who is not just under authority, but as we've already said, has authority as he's seeking Jesus' care towards his servant, the centurion's servant, one over whom he has Authority. And he is standing before the one who has, as we're about to learn, an unparalleled authority. An authority that extends even into the register of illness, apparently. As at a word, the illness goes. We learn an important lesson from the centurion. I don't know how quickly you consider yourself in this way. I am a man under authority. I am a woman under authority. If you were to rank the top five sentences that you were to utter to the question, who are you? I bet that wouldn't appear there. Mm. I don't know how far you'd have to go down until you got to it. I am a man under authority. I am a woman under authority. The fifth commandment is inviting us to remember that that's who we are. We are all under authority. Variously, yes, but also invariably. And the passage in Matthew reminds us that authority is not the problem. Authority is the solution. In fact, our salvation is bound up with authority and finding our proper place within it. That's how Matthew's gospel ends, doesn't it? The whole church age is unleashed with the staggering words, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given unto me. And on that basis, what happens? He makes true disciples. Those who are under authority. Beloved, we have an authority problem. Let's all go ahead and get that out. This is our group meeting, if you will. Hi, my name is fill-in-the-blank. I have a problem with authority. God's word comes to us and says, you do. <laughs> 
But he doesn't just leave us there, for he displays the Lord Jesus Christ as authority most magnificently wielded. Just like the centurion, on behalf of his servants, sought the one with all authority to do good, not to the centurion, but the servant. So also, he ushers us into this glorious network of life wherein we see authority as not that which we are primarily to tear down or primarily to transcend or primarily to cast off, but as a duty which we are primarily to fulfill with respect to those over us, next to us, and under us. This is a great commandment. They're all great. I was particularly blessed by this meditation this week. I approached it in a little bit of a different way and realized that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it's not the best time to experiment with an approach as you all glaze over as your insulin spikes. <laughs> but do your best. Classically, you'll see a number of questions put to the commandment, honor your father and mother, which is the approach that the Westminster Larger takes and which you can find in a number of different Protestant scholastic approaches to the commandment, asking three questions. Who are the parents? What does it mean to honor? And what is long life in the land? We're just going to tackle the first one. Who are the parents? Whom does God obligate us to obey by the terms father and mother. Calvin answers, although particular mention is made here of mother and father, there can be no doubt about God's wanting to provide a general doctrine with respect to honoring all forms of authority. The command goes much Further than just orienting us to natural parents, it is the lens through which he would have us understand all structures of authority which have characterized life in his world by virtue of the created order and life in his world by virtue of history, that is, by virtue of his providential dealings. Those are two important coordinates. There is an order which comes to us by virtue of creation, and there is an arrangement which comes to us by virtue of history, which we understand to be not an impersonal force, but the particular dealings of God in providence. Both of those things are important when it comes to considering this question. The Westminster Larger Catechism explains further that we're obligated to honor not only natural parents, but all those superior in age and gifts. And especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, in the place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. That is to say, the state, the general society in which we share with unbelievers. Heinrich Bullinger, Calvin's protege, enumerates seven groups that he designates, identifies on his own cultural, social landscape to whom the Lord obligates him and the church living at that time. Parents, country, 
magistrates, overseers, that is to say masters and teachers, officers in the church, extended family, that is to say in-laws, aunts and uncles, cousins, and those who are older than us. I get the sense that they're thinking about this in a way that we're not thinking about this. Do you get that sense? And I suspect that they were healthier than we are. Do you also get that sense? Feel this with me. Thank you for that, Janet. <laughs> Even just questioning who is our superior with reference to gift, we're going to crucify that person. Do you admit that you're anyone's inferior with respect to gifts? I have a hard time with that. You have a hard time with that. Let's grapple with that. Where does that come from? The notion that we're inferiors in any sense brings forth a deep revulsion from us. And I suspect it's not coming from a place of compassion. It's something more basic. Something primal. Something Adamic, you might say. The Westminster Larger invites us to recognize in the relations that we exist that there are those who are our superiors in age and in gift or in office. That's what it says, by virtue of God's ordinance in a position of authority. Well, what is God's ordinance? What do we mean by God's ordinance? The Westminster Larger is saying that this is the ground upon which God obligates you to discharge your debt of honor. Because it's God-ordained. <laughs> well, what do we mean by God's ordinance? What do we mean by God-ordained? When we speak of God's ordinance, we speak of God's decrees worked out in creation and providence. I think it's easier for us to see God's creation ordinances or God's created order. But this is a good starting point, especially as a polemic against the tendency of our heart to see authority as such as the problem. Look at the garden. Look at creation. He appoints order even there. The sun rules over the day. The moon rules over the night. Rule. Human beings are to rule over the earth. Rule. Authority as such is not the problem. It's in the pre-fallen state. So by virtue of God's creation ordinance, there is authority. But it's not just God's creation ordinance, it's also God's providence, which you might call reasonably history. <laughs> the fact that you have a mother or a father is because you're a, crea a creature. The fact that you have the particular mother or father that you have is because you're a person whom God deals with specifically by virtue of providence. That's the lens it wants to put in place for all of our considerations of authority. That is counterintuitive. 
Your heart right now is probably appealing even to Paul. Paul instructs slaves in 1 Corinthians 7 that if you can improve your station, go ahead and do it. That's the first thing we think of when it comes to station, isn't it? As something that we ought to try to eclipse. Not as something which we are to receive in its various contours. I think there's a real challenge for us in receiving the larger catechism's invitation to see the structures that we inhabit as God's ordinance by virtue of creation and providence. There's a distaste that we have when it comes to considering ourselves as inferiors. And it's a distaste which comes to us by virtue of the fall. For in creation, God put Adam in a particular place. It was not the position of God. (laughs) And his freedom was not to be found in transcending that place and taking for himself a position that had not been given to him. His blessing was intimately bound up with finding his place, as it were, in God's created order. Beloved, isn't this the heart of what Paul teaches when it comes to contentment? He says, I know the secret of contentment. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be high. Station. Position. Status. He says, I can handle that. However, it comes to me by virtue of God's providence, by considering this other nexus altogether, that in Christ I have everything, and that my freedom, my blessing, my liberty is not to be found in manipulating this or that station according to my passing fancy, but to be found in Christ. To whom we can also look if you're interested in being humbled further. For he was the eternal word of God, was he not? How remarkable that our Lord Jesus Christ acknowledged and honored the authority established for him in his earthly tenure by virtue of creation and providence. He yielded in obedience to his family. He yielded even in the church under age, acknowledging the authority structure set up therein. I can tell if you're sleepy or if you're disagreeing. Anyone disagree with that? He even yielded in the commonwealth as he found himself before corrupt bureaucrats, (laughs) acknowledging the legitimacy of their position. We read in Luke 2. Jesus went down with his father and mother and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, the eternal word. 
Matthew 26, 63 and 64. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. Yielded to the church under age. Acknowledging a legitimate authority that they continued to invoke, even there. John 19, before Pilate, Pilate comes to Jesus, says, don't you know I have the authority to release you? And what does Jesus say? He says, you do have authority, in effect, but it's been given to you. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. He submits in the home. He submits in the church. He submits in the commonwealth as the Lord of glory. Beloved, it's far less fitting for him to submit than it is for you and I. And yet he willingly takes the position of the suffering servant and thereby redeems our unruly hearts, which are prone to rise up rise up and seek our blessing therein. Mark that tendency, beloved. Mark his trajectory, beloved. Hang your head but for a moment and then let him lift up your chin in the light of his glory, for he did it to fulfill the law on our behalf. That's why he submitted to redeem rebels, to redeem those who cast off the proper yoke of authority, And to bring us back to the position we were made to inhabit. Friend of God, but not God. Child of God, but not God. And therein is our blessing. Contend with that impulse which continues to deceive you into thinking that you were made to be God, pursuing the course of action that you perceive to be right, willing to condemn any who stands in your way, be ashamed at such a tendency, and then rejoice that you're not God, and then rejoice that the Son of God condescended to redeem such hearts as ours by taking the form of a servant. And then learn from him his way. I'm gentle and lowly. Take my yoke upon you. That's authority language, beloved. Take my yoke. That's authority language. It's easy. It's light. He wields it for the purposes of life. And in this way, we learn from him. The marvel is the Lord of glory honored and acknowledged the structures of authority that had been arranged for him by virtue of God's providence. And therein, he wins for himself a people. We can also mark in his own life of yielding within these structures the opening of a particular storehouse of grace and mercy unto us as we still inhabit these structures. Hebrews makes it plain that it's going to be difficult for us, but that he understands, he knows, because he went through these difficulties, and in this way, he is a sympathetic high priest who is ready for help in all of our times of need, which certainly includes acknowledging the structures that we inhabit. Does it not? To speak nothing yet of the discharge of duty that he enjoins us unto with the call 
unto honor. We can ask a second question, and it's this. This is related to the first two are the parents. We can ask a related question. Why does God present our duties to all authorities and in our various relations in this way? Why did he choose to do it? Why didn't he say, honor the magistrate? Why didn't he say, honor Moses, the religious leaders? Why does he frame, as Calvin understood it, as Westminster larger, as Reformed Orthodoxy has understood it, why did he frame this general teaching on authority through this lens? Well, partly it's to press upon us our duties not just as inferiors, but also as superiors. This is what the Westminster Larger states. The authority that God gives us, whatever the station, whether as a parent or an officer in the church or a magistrate in the commonwealth, is simultaneously a responsibility before God to pursue the good of the one entrusted to our care. Isn't that what the centurion did? He went out of his way to seek the Lord, who then prostrates himself before the Lord, saying, I'm not worthy to have you within my house. It's a public spectacle. It's a public declaration that he's not worthy of the Lord's presence on behalf of another. That's love. That's the use of authority on behalf of others, which is commended to us by virtue of the very framing of the issue of authority through the parental lens. Are you tracking with me? Is everybody with me? The larger catechism says that we are called to express love and tenderness in all our duties towards inferiors. So mark again our tragic hearts. Now, again, the Lord is assuming much about that ineradicatability about the created order. Prophets assume this. Can a mother forget her child? The prophet assumes. He goes so far. Can a nursing mother forget her child? I went to a conference when I was pursuing academic stuff, and they give these papers, 99% of which are absolutely useless. This one had a particularly good insight in that it's doubly difficult for a nursing mother to forget her child because the mom needs the baby to relieve her of the milk. She can't. She cannot forget. So not only do you have the prophet there pressing forth this mysterious bond between mother and child, it's also this physical bond as well, wherein the milk is necessary for the child and the child is necessary to relieve the milk. So that is the created order. And the Lord is here platforming, springboarding from that into a meditation upon the goodness that we see in God's created order. That again, it is not authority per se. It's not structure per se. It's not order per se. That's the problem. It's the misuse, the perversion, the corruption that our sin brings to those various offices that is the problem. And it's just as much a problem for us in our positions of inferiority as it is in our positions of superiority, is it not? To 
speak like the youngins today, we like to flex on others. Meaning we like to peacock. Right? All of our positions, all of our accolades, all that would distinguish us from others, we boast in. And in boasting in it, we actually like to see others beaten down. Right? Dominate. People dominate in the academy. I'm going to dominate this conference. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are nerds. <laughs> but it's dominates the same heart. Whether it's a physical endeavor, an intellectual endeavor, an emotional endeavor, whatever it is. We're confronted with the tendency to use our positions to dominate. Hardly a regime of life. Hardly a reign of flourishing. The presentation of it invites us to consider that Authority is not given to us as carte blanche to do our will, but as a responsibility to ensure the thriving of those who are entrusted to us. It's true of fathers in the home. It's true of officers in the church. It's true of magistrates. We see the excellency of this order on display throughout Scripture, don't we? Glimpsing here and there a commendation of God's created order as his servants stumble into something of it. Judah offering to stand in the stead of Benjamin. Something of it is recovered, but ultimately we see it on display from the Heavenly Father, don't we? who makes known his riches through the beloved son, the one who enjoyed the glory of the fathers. But he prays staggeringly in John 17, I want them to see the glory that I enjoyed with you before all worlds. The one who is exalted above all else stood before them as a servant about to die in their stead. And this truly makes known the father. That's authority. <laughs> so God sets forth his glory in this way. That's what John writes. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Condescension. Descent. And we have seen his glory. No, he stepped down. How have you seen his glory? He stepped down. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Oh, that's his glory. Not that he just took that position and ran with it on his own for age upon age upon age, but that he willingly set aside so that others could be brought in to receive. That's the glory. That's magnificent, beloved. So again, we mark our sinfulness in this regard this he did to redeem us and how much reason we have to stand in awe of the eternal word who did this for us when we are so slow to do this for others 
How slow are we to ask, how can I obtain good for others by virtue of my station and gifts? If I am a man under authority doesn't occur in the top 100 self-identifications that you possess, where does that rank? How can I use my station and gifts to secure benefit for others? Beloved, that is a counter-cultural question. That is a Christian question. If we took that question up in earnest, diligently in our homes, beseeching the Lord, not just for the wisdom to see how to do it, but for the grace and the resolve to carry it out, wouldn't that contribute to the harmony and the thriving of our homes and churches? If everybody took that up, wouldn't it? Tell me that wouldn't trend towards the peace and the prosperity of churches and homes. Tell me that that might even not have a cultural influence as we showcase a truly otherworldly manner of life following an otherworldly king who laid aside an otherworldly glory to make you his own. Beloved, make no mistake, we have ample grounds for asking this question. The question is, why don't we? (laughs) May he grant us the eyes to see the grounds. And may he grant us a heart that is preoccupied with that question more and more. Asking, how can I do them good with what you've given me? by virtue of my station. For that's what Christ asked, and that's what Christ did, and that's our king. Let's pray. Mm. Mm. How good you are to us, Lord. Give us the eyes to see. Give us a taste, Lord, week in and week out as we gather around your word. Uh, May it be a taste of truth a true revelation of who you are, facilitated by the Holy Spirit who nourishes us on spiritual matters and who's pleased to remake us in the image and the likeness of the beloved Son, making us like you. Oh God, how wonderful. Give us a heart for these things, a heart that longs to see Christ face to face when these things are all in all. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.